Hello, Marcus here with another special holiday encore presentation of the Just Some Musings podcast. Justin and I are taking the holidays off from recording new episodes, so instead we are rebroadcasting our most popular episodes of the past year. This week's encore episode was our third most listened to episode on market-linked GICs and subscriptions. As it's almost a new year, perhaps you might want to review the various subscriptions you're paying for, perhaps you can find some cost savings. The topic of market-linked GICs is also a pertinent one as we again enter our RSP and TFSA season. There is no reason why any rational person should ever consider a market-linked GIC for their portfolio, but the banks will try to push them on you anyway in place of normal GICs or as a perceived safer alternative to mutual funds. You can find more info on market-linked GICs on a blog post I wrote some time ago at muhs.ca slash MLGIC. Enjoy. Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We're two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta who finish off our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss the week that was. Any charts or links that we refer to, as well as an archive of past podcasts, can be found on muse.ca slash podcast. Please enjoy our largely unedited and unfiltered discussion for the week. Thanks, Justin. So yeah, this week we're going to talk a bit about uh, some risk-managed investment products out there that uh, that might gain the attention of some investors. And then a bit of talk about uh, subscription services and how they might be affecting our cash flows. Um, So I hope you enjoy our, our talk this week. So you wanted to spout off a little bit on something. Was it something, this is, we talked about this a little bit in the past, uh, but uh, you, did something else come up recently that, that made a cause for, for a rally or a cause for, for, for comment? So yeah, with it being, uh, it's kind of RSP season and, you know, a lot of the times you make your RSP contribution to the bank and the bank tells you what you should invest it in. Um, that's where I kind of thought, you know, this conversation about uh, market-linked GICs might be worth having. Uh, I wrote a blog post on it a few months or a month or so ago, uh, just in preparation for RSP season, because I used to be in the, I used to be at the bank, and I know what the yeah. conversation is on the bank side. And this is usually one of the easiest products to sell at the bank, because it doesn't require a whole lot of uh, paperwork, as with a mutual fund account. And it's quick and easy. Uh, client comes in, does their RSP contribution at the deadline, you know, February 28th or March 1st. And um, and it gets plopped right into a market link GIC and uh, onto the next client. For me, when I was at the bank, that was how I made my goal. You know, usually it was like RSP deadline day and you're just, you got a client, clients lining up, customers lining up at the door. And uh, you're not going to spend an hour with each one going through a risk questionnaire and all that other stuff uh, to invest it properly. Uh, it's just basically put the money in the RSP, get it done on to the next. The other thing too, with, uh, with last year having such a, having been such a crappy year in the markets, suddenly a lot of these products, uh, whether it be market linked GICs, um, what's the other covered call ETFs are getting a lot of popularity. Oh yeah. Oh, just yeah. other things that are kind of risk, sort of risk mitigating products. Um, they're just, they're gaining popularity, obviously because of hindsight bias, but it's probably the worst time to get into them. It probably would have been best to get into them a year ago before the markets took a dive, but um, they always become popular after bear markets. I saw it in 2009. 
Uh, this was any, the only thing people were putting money into back then, whether it was that or it was principal protected notes, all sorts of products. And you have to remember, these are all products and there is no, there is no free lunch when it comes to risk. You either take the risk and in, in return, get, get return over the long term, or you're kind of outsourcing that risk to someone, whether it be the bank uh, or an insurance company, if we look at something like segregated funds <clears throat> or, um, or whoever else. So you always, if, if you are going to try to reduce your downside risk, you are reducing your upside risk. Um, and that can be pretty substantial. Uh, with something like covered call ETFs, for example, I mean, there's a, there's a really good article that was done in the Wall Street Journal uh, not too long ago from... Zweig. Uh, Zweig, uh, exactly, yeah. Um, and I always say Zweig because that's the German pronunciation of the name. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. Um, it means twig. <laughs> So yeah, obviously with a covered call ETF, you know they work for some people. They would they don't for others. Um, when you're when you're reducing your downside, you reduce the upside. And what he made a point of in the article was, um, and we'll put the article in the show notes. It might be behind a paywall. I'm not sure, but uh, you know if you have a Wall Street Journal subscription or you haven't gone to the site in a while, you'll be able to see it. What he makes a point of in the article is like last year, yeah, if you were in that product, you you vastly outperformed because you didn't see you saw like a a, a single digit downside when the markets were down twenty percent. Uh, even if you were in something like a NASDAQ covered call ETF, uh, you saw a minus teens instead of a minus 30. Uh, mm -hmm. But already in the month of January, with it having been up such an up month, um, you already see the difference it makes uh, in that it really curtailed the upside. And so what I'm getting at is, you know, you can you can manage risk, whether you manage risk the, the old fashioned way with stocks and bonds, you know, you add some bonds to your portfolio, reduce your upside, generally, generally reduce your downside, 2022 notwithstanding. Um, or you you buy some sort of a product where you're outsourcing. Now, there are some products that do this well and some that don't. One that doesn't do it well is MarketLink GIC, which is kind of a bread and butter product of the banks at this time of year in particular. Again, they're easy sells. Mm -hmm. I used to sell them. They were nice and easy. And, um, and that's why I, I wrote something about it. I think one of my first investments ever as well um... As a as a late teenager, uh, early young adult, was probably was a market link GIC from a major bank, and and I think probably for those <clears throat> you know uh, for those same reasons that you just addressed, uh, but also the concept seemed to make a link. It was a delicate toe into the water uh, that had apparently uh, capital preservation, but with the potential of, of some market upside uh, uh, opportunity. And uh, soon after, I actually <laughs> said I wanted out of it um, when I started reading more uh, about it and learning kind of the intricacies of it. I think you're right. Uh, I mean, one thing that got my craw about market leak GICs uh, to this day is that replicating it is actually fairly simple mm -hmm. for most people, right? Maybe instead of a market leak GIC, you do 80% in a traditional vanilla GIC and then you put 20% in a broad-based, low-cost ETF, and there you got it. You got it, Precisely. right? And it didn't take much more. There are other products or mandates which are going to be much more difficult to implement. And I'll, you know, I can talk about that in a second. Things like the covered call and some other options where uh, other situations, other options, yeah, where things like options or short selling or you know those sort of situations are not as easy to implement for an individual. Yeah, your idea is one I actually implemented with a couple of very risk-averse clients or fairly risk-averse clients back in 2008, thereabouts, when I first started as a financial planner, um, when I kind of realized, yeah, this is easy to do. And actually, I got the idea from principal protected notes 
which kind of do something like that. I forget all the ins and outs of those, but uh, I've never in my career used them. But um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of thought like at that time in 2008, you could get a five-year GIC at four point something percent, maybe let's call it four and a half. Rates were still pretty high at that time. Um, and what I did in my math, I kind of looked at it. If this GIC is earning whatever, 4% per year compounded, and let's say we have $100,000 to invest, what dollar amount do I need today at that four point whatever percent compounded till maturity to make 100,000? And that that difference between 100,000 and that, in, that initial dollar amount, that's the amount you can put into risk. Because if that risk amount mm -hmm. goes to zero, the end of the day, your GIC comes whole at 100,000 and you're in the same ballpark as you would be in a PPN or yep. a yep. market link GIC. <clears throat> And that worked out a lot better because if the markets were kind of as as they were in the, in 2008, they you know no mutual fund went to zero. I mean, unless you went to something really really exotic, I don't know what could have gone to zero back in 2008. But um, you got you still had some type of return, and it turned out actually pretty decent over the five years from 08 to 2013. You had a positive return on most things, or, or flat, we'll say. Absolutely, yep. Yep. Um, but then you also had the GIC interest and you ended up better than mm -hmm. if you were just in a market link GIC that matured at a 0% return. And the biggest thing, so there's a lot of, a couple of big issues with the market link GICs. I won't go into all of them. You can read the article I wrote. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, one big thing is, one big slam against them is they don't include dividends in the return. When they were first introduced to me, I thought, I also thought this is excellent. Why does anyone buy mutual funds anymore? If the, if there's these products that are like mutual funds, they exposed to the market, but uh, they have this downside protection. And you know, it looks like if and back then they had some really high maximum returns too. You could buy an energy linked um, GIC at the bank I was with that had a 100% maximum return over the five years. And then there were some TSX and and S and P 500 linked ones that had like 50% maximum returns over the five years or even 75%, I think. And it seemed like you get all that upside and yeah, downside is you, you, you're break even, but that upside does not include the dividends. That's a big thing, especially on a sideways market and especially in certain sectors. And I bring this up because a lot of the banks push the financials linked GICs or utilities linked GIC or the ones that are- Because they're presumably safer too, right? It lends itself yeah, and to the thought of a GIC. A people think those are- People right. think those are great investments. They do well. They have GSEs that are linked to both of them together as well. Mm -hmm. The thing with those is the financials market gets about half of its returns over the long term from dividends and the reinvestment of those dividends. The utilities index, it's it's the majority of the return is the dividends from those utility companies. So if you're only linked to the growth of those assets, you're 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 getting half of the return potentially or less than half just off the get-go. And it could be, and this I think is the actually the situation, if you look at the utilities index over the last five years, I believe it's down in terms of principal value over these last five years, although a utilities investor made a decent return from those dividends. And so, and that is not really well disclosed, I think, in their various disclosure material. It's in there somewhere that it's only based on market price, <laughs> not, not total return, but it makes a big difference. I have the graphs in my, in my blog post, if you want to look at that. Um, so at the end of the day, what it gets to is the outsourcing of risk that you do buying one of these types of GICs is so unfavorable to the investor that if the markets do very well, you get a very small percentage of the return. 
especially with today's maximum return rates, they say like 20% maximum return over five years, which is very, very poor at this point, because that's mm -hmm. over the full mm -hmm. five years, not per year. Um, mm -hmm. But even when the markets go down, there are situations like if you invested right before the market crash in 08 and held for five years, you were better off just owning a broad, uh, the broad index, really. Um, mm -hmm. you Despite that crash, other, yes. Yeah, a lot of other time periods where that was the case. So think twice before getting into them. Remember, at the banks, you're always just being sold to and you're not really being advised. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, and yeah, come come to one of us. Find a, find a, an advisor if you want a second opinion on that. If if anyone's ever pitching you one of those products, and and actually I should say too, GIC rates are excellent today. Uh, you can get four point something percent still on any term, and there you know if you want to really manage your risk, you can do something like what Justin talked about. The uh, you know put eighty percent in a GIC, twenty percent into whatever index linked ETF or whatnot. And you'll you'll end up with a better outcome than buying one of those GICs. You won't you won't be necessarily as locked in. Let me add a couple of additional points on top of that as well. Is that um, you talked about dividend return? Uh, you're foregoing the dividends uh, and even capital gains as well, right? Uh, and one thing to note about uh, the market like GICs is that yeah, your returns are going to be an interest. Whereas if you had the underlying equities. You, you have the dividends and the capital gains that could come out of them are much more tax efficient. So if you were held, holding them outside of a registered plan account, you'd be doing on, a, on an after-tax basis much better receiving those dividends from those Canadian banks, for example, than receiving the interest from the GIC that has them wrapped around those bank holdings, right? It's all taxed at once even. And that's why <laughs> it's an absolute yep. no-no to have these things outside of a registered plan. I've seen situations at the bank where someone had like that energy, that energy GIC I talked about in an RSP and it doubled. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. And we're talking about a time period that would have been like 2003 to 2008 energy stocks went up a lot. They more than doubled, mm -hmm. but this mm -hmm. person who had the GIC saw a doubling, which is great if they were taking no risk. Um, yep. That's all fantastic. There's no tax consequence outside <clears throat> of, an, of an RSP or TFSA. They, like I said, they're absolute, it should be a non-starter. If that were to happen, for example, you could own, you could have owned, let's just say it was a utility one and the utility index, you know, let's say it even did, you know, principal value did go up, whatever. Uh, if you own the utility companies, you're taxed every year on those dividends, a little bit on those dividends. Um, eventually when you sell at a capital gain, you get a, you get the, the favorable treatment of capital gain. If you're in the GIC that let's say it's a really good GIC return and it happens to be 50% over the five years. It's all taxed at once. It's not split up over those five years. It's one whack of 50% return. Here's your T your T5 slip and you file your taxes that year for that. That's that can be very tax inefficient. And it's all interest income, regardless of you know what mm -hmm. you know, whether it would have been dividends or capital gains otherwise. Yep. Because it's the GIC. Um, one other thing I would say is that uh, yes, they are popular. Whether it's the covered call strategy, these protected sort of situations, these ideas where they've mitigated or lowered the volatility. Um, it, it is uh, you know other things that have come up are like you know uh, I I get a lot of inbound calls on private real estate, uh, mortgages, private lending, private debt uh, because you know what they held their value over the last year or so. Um, you know, debate how they did it, but. Suffice to say, they report that, you know, the numbers were static or slightly up even. You know, those are also last year's battles, right? 
and uh, it is uh, fairly unlikely that we'll get this year uh, the type of uh, market that we had in 2022. So one thing I would say is that, yes, because it, it was after that, it's all hindsight. What one can do is take those mandates or those strategies into consideration and have them sort of in your back pocket or in, in the quiver so that in the future, should you expect or should we think that there is an, uh, a situation where there may be a flat or, or negative year, uh, that maybe those strategies come into play then. But to implement them now, it, it's sort of the thing where, yes, the, the um, you know, the, the fire is already out. You know, the, uh, the barn mm -hmm. door has been blown open already. It's, it's last year's battles. But or, or, it's not bad to have that preparation for the future uh, in case you do want to bring it up, right? Or the barn's still on fire. Now's not the time to get fire insurance. You know? Now's the time. The barn's <laughs> going right. to eventually, That's the right. fire's going to be out It's very expensive to get insurance at that time, yes. <laughs> No, but you're right. Yeah. And and there's all, there's all sorts of different products, whether it's something that's got some kind of a risk mitigation feature, or like you said, private equity, private debt, which are usually they look less risky just because they're not marked to market every day like the stock market is, mm -hmm. because they're not liquid. Uh, that's a big mm -hmm. thing, liquidity. Um, Another trade-off. And, you know, I see these ads all the time now, too. I see them online uh, for whatever type of... And actually, the really disappointing thing is I see these ads invest in blah in your RSP and it's some kind of private debt, whatever. These types of risky things I would actually tell you not to have in an RSP at all, because if they go under, you can have some real problems in terms of liquidity of them. Um, I, and, and I write about this actually in another post, my financial advice for people in their fifties, where I talk about where advisors typically when they reach their fifties, if they're not making their retirement plan or they had, you know, a year like last year, bad markets, they start to look for alternatives, whether it be something safer or something promising higher returns. This is usually the time when they get suckered into things that, um, that promise higher returns that might, might be outright scams, but in, even in the best case scenario might be some kind of investment scheme that has a lot more risk than might appear on the surface. And so that's something to be, to be mindful of. Um, we can be human too, for sure. Holy, yeah, it is. It is human. It's entirely. It's in our condition to to seek that out, especially after we you know we have that hindsight bias. Now we're most likely looking for, you know, less risk in our portfolios. Mm -hmm. And when really the, the 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 thing that humans should do, which we don't, is when everything is you know going crazy up, like like in twenty twenty one, we tend to then look for more risk. We want to buy those things that are going up. But that was the time when we really should have been looking at our risk, making sure it was well managed and so forth. It is worth going through that cycle, though, again, uh, and going through that experience and understanding that it's one thing to hear it, one thing to read about it. Uh, you know, if you were to document and journal uh, your own uh, reaction uh, as an investor to say, oh, what was I interested in 2021? What would I what am I interested in, in January or February of 2023? And why is it? Why is all of a sudden do I want to move towards GICs, for example, whatever type of GIC? And is, is that valid? Is that appropriate for the coming year, the next coming years? Or is that just in reaction to say be something that happened previously, right? The mind sometimes, you know, we gloss over, we forget things like that sometimes. But uh, um, yes, I, I think we, we are all uh, we are all human, as we said, and uh, subject to those sort of emotions, uh, even to the best of us, right? So. And just just one last point on GICs, uh, that that brings to mind also kind of the kind of a rinse and repeat cycle that I noticed at the bank as well, which was whenever we have bad markets for for a period of years, everybody wants to buy GICs. And that often is when their rates are higher and more attractive, such as now. So that was the mm -hmm. case back in like the mid 2000s. I first started the bank in 2005. So this was kind of the, this is a period of time you look back from 2005, market returns were not good from 2000 to 2005. 
So, you know, people typically were looking to get out of their mutual funds, go into GICs. And then you had that time period when, uh, like in the 2010s, where rates on rates on GICs were awful and people were seeing higher returns on mutual funds. And then the whole, I mean, really the business model of the bank was if you have a client with a GIC maturing, you know, look at, you know, measure their risk, do the risk questionnaire and look to see if there's an opportunity to transition that GIC to mutual funds. Cause mutual funds of course make, make everyone more money. I mean, I mean, honest us as well as everyone. Banks. Yeah. Um, and as well as the underlying investor. Yep. But there shouldn't be this cycle. It should be simply you have a financial plan and a strategy and you stick with it through <clears> thick and thin. Don't jump from one thing to another. Yes, GSE rates are good. They were really good last year. They're still pretty good. But that's usually now would be the worst time to be moving out of mutual funds into GICs. Um, really, if if GICs are really what you should what you want, you should have been in them from the from the get-go when they were back at you know two percent interest rates and avoid avoided the Even markets then. entirely. Yep. Yep. But, um, yep. Stick to the plan, basically. But it's yeah, the underlying concern. What, what is drawing that discussion, or what is drawing, uh, driving that thought as to why we, for an individual is one thing all of a sudden a little bit more attractive? Again, Bitcoin, GIC, cannabis, yeah. AI, whatever, right? Yep. But uh, one final final point I addressed earlier as well is that things because that we can do easily like a market link GIC splitting it up into actually a true GIC and, and actual market participation is one thing. There are some strategies. We didn't go into the detail of a covered call strategy and why they're popular these days. Um, you know, if you can't read that, uh, that article directly because of the wall street uh, journal subscription, then I'm, I'm certain that either of us can uh, paraphrase that for you if you're interested. So reach out to us if you don't have that subscription. Uh, but also again, things like, long short strategies why you know uh, mm -hmm. or uh, a merger arbitrage strategy uh, or even buying a bond like buying as an individual buying a wide dis uh, disparity of bonds is, is not easy implementing a covered call strategy and by understanding options is not easy uh, which is why these things come up why they are packaged uh, uh, for that opportunity to be utilized and so those things where it is difficult to do unlike say making a, a synthetic market link jc for yourself those are then, again, I think, situations where you can consider them. And if it is of interest, if that does match a certain desire or a need, then, yes, you can bring in uh, a third-party provider to enable the doing so, right? But the simple stuff, I think, is, you know, to the point that we you can do that yourself. We can do it ourselves. The other stuff that's a little bit more complex, it may be better off um, having uh, having that mandate to manage by, my, by somebody else. So I'll leave that at that for now. And uh We'll, we'll talk, we can certainly talk about any one of those uh, options in the future uh, as well and get into the, the details as to why maybe covered call is having its day in the sun right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, topical, somewhat topical, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bone of contention for some people, uh, certainly people that I've talked to in polls, is uh, this past week, Netflix started to kind of crack down on the password sharing and uh, the implications of password sharing. And what I wanted to start off with is that in my household right now, in terms of subscriptions, we have Netflix, uh, we have Amazon Prime uh, and, and the TV as, as part of it. I also have a small, uh, a medium package for iCloud with Apple because I have an iPhone and I've taken so many photos and videos of my family and of other things that my kids have taken 10 minute videos of whatever they're doing uh, that it tends up to take up too much space. So I wanna have that backed up so that, you know, I have some subscriptions like that. Uh, wanted to ask and see what, if, what subscriptions you have yourself, Marcus. Yeah, um, so yeah, Netflix, of course. 
which I, I downgraded to the, to their cheapest package. I, I didn't see mm -hmm. any value in that 4k and having more <clears throat> devices or whatever. Yep. I can't live without it though. Even if I can go a month without even watching anything on Netflix, but you know, occasionally there's that show I want to watch like that Bernie Madoff show that's on right now and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got that, of course, Amazon prime, which is almost a no brainer for anybody. Um, you know, I shop so much on Amazon. Uh, plus I've been watching the, uh, the new series there with, uh, Jack Ryan, uh, oh, yeah. moving on. So Disney plus, um, you know, I could say that's, you know, for when my niece and nephew visit, but truthfully it's for me to watch star Wars and, 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 uh, <laughs> stuff on. Yeah. Um, I have, and do you uh, share these? So no, Sorry. I don't share those at all. Well, I was sharing Netflix for a while with my parents, but they don't, they can't really figure out how to log on. I think like yeah. it's, it's, it's on their, it's on their Blu-ray player. Like they can log on to it on there if they wanted to. I have Paramount, okay. Paramount Plus. Password sharing, it was part of their business model, arguably. Right. And now they're switching they, out. Right? They used to, they even tweeted once. Uh, yeah. They tweet something like it was a Valentine's day tweet saying, you know, love is sharing your Netflix password or something like that. And now they've gone <laughs> against that. Uh, I was going to say I Paramount Plus. Um, which is, you know, pretty good deal. It's the cheapest among all of them monthly and has, you know, there's all their, all the Paramount's, you know, all their movies and stuff and some TV shows, um, which is, is being shared inadvertently. Um, I, I probably left uh, the, uh, the password on my, uh, when I was over at my sister's house, I might've left the password on their TV. And, uh, and since then I've seen all sorts of uh, kids shows pop up in my, my recently viewed <laughs> something with goodies, I forget. Um, yeah. And yeah, I also have, like you said, you have iCloud. I have Google. I'm paying Google for extra space, which is a good deal. I mean, it's like a buck or two a month. Um, mm -hmm. What else do I have? Uh, oh yeah, Spotify, of course. You know, the, the thing with a lot of these subscriptions is I don't use them all the time. Like I can go months without listening, to, without watching Paramount or without listening yeah. to Spotify. Shouldn't someone else be able to use them when I'm not? I know it's probably not what they intend, <laughs> but uh I think the thing is, is that, the, you know, in the past and during COVID, the subscription economy, uh, as the coin, uh, the term is coined, uh, really, really grew. And, and it went from B2B or business to business to B2C, business to direct consumer. And so when you think about, you know, uh, off mo many of us, where we work and what we do, uh, we have, you know, back in the day to, to load up in an upgrade on of Microsoft Office required a physical CD, right, with the code. And whatnot right but now microsoft has moved over to the point where no it's all on the cloud it's all subscription you don't pay the upgrade you're not worrying if you're going to buy windows 95 or windows 98 right it, they just automatically upgrade it for you and and as part of their service you know you get all the upgrades you get all the patches uh, but you just now pay monthly and by per seat so this is very common in in the business world it, it, it's moved on it has happened and now especially after the pandemic or the, during the when we were locked down, it became a lot more popular for us as consumers. You know, things like Netflix, things like Amazon, you know, Apple TV, uh, um, Disney Plus. Disney Plus didn't have a stream. Disney didn't have a streaming service, and they were almost forced to do one because everybody else was doing one as well. They're competitors. Um, but we have other subscriptions, right? I mean, call your utility a subscription. Call your cell phone bill a subscription. You're paying it every single month, yep. right? And you for that service and for the ability to use it when you want it, how you want it. Um, gym memberships. That's a classic one, right? Beginning of the year, I'm going to go to a gym membership, pay for monthly, go as often as I want, when I want to, 24 hours, whatever the case may be. And then maybe it peters off. But you know, for the six or $10 a month that some places do, maybe not the 50, 60, $80 a month things, maybe them too. 
but you know it, they kind of grind away you know i, I they, they constantly get paid they and do. the the business the business model of a place like 24-hour <laughs> fitness for example is built on the premise that not everybody's going to be using the gym membership right and but you'll use it periodically here and there and for the ten dollars a month or fifteen dollars or whatever it is that you're paying for it um it's still maybe a value for that individual but i think recently with the you know with the pockets being or wallets being tightened and 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 inflation coming into the into the in, into our daily spending our monthly lives uh that revisit of what is worth continuing subscription uh is is worth the uh, worth the review and maybe it means dropping down your netflix uh, forget the password sharing, but dropping down the networks, uh, Netflix uh, package down to the, the basic one, you know, things like that, I think are really worth revisiting for people, especially when you're reviewing your, your month to month finances. Absolutely. When it comes to cash flow, uh, and, and I bring this up a lot in uh, sort of when we talk cash flow management, when I talk cash flow management with clients, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of ways you can save money. Um, you know, people can turn their heat down in their house to 18 degrees or save money here, mm -hmm. save money there. A lot of those things don't really push the dial. You know, there's a lot of basic expenses we really can't get around. But when mm -hmm. the ones that really make a difference, a massive difference, they're they're really in three categories. One is house. So of course, people, if you buy too much house and have too high a mortgage payment or you spend money on vacation property, stuff like that. That's gonna that can cause you to go bankrupt. That can really that's an that expensive really subscription. You subscribe to an expensive house. Yes, exactly. Huh? So that that is that's one big one. The other is car. So buying too much car, buying car too often. Mm -hmm. so, and what I'm saying is, if you really are looking to save money, these are things to look at. Whether it's downsizing your house, not buying that that new vacation property, um, mm -hmm. not buying a new car, maybe going more modest mm -hmm. with whatever car you 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 do your next car purchase is. And then the other big one is really entertainment and food as one category. And that's where it comes down to your subscriptions to these various things, your cable package, you know, maybe you don't need to pay for uh, um, what's it called Crave or, or HBO, uh, maybe wait until The Last of Us is done and then you can probably down, downgrade those. Um, or, or food is the other big one. And this is, you know, how often you eat out uh, in restaurants, as well as, you know, overspending on food that you purchase in the grocery markets or the grocery store. So doing some planning around that, you know, not purchasing food that's going to go bad in your fridge is is one thing. But the one I really want to touch on is just kind of connected with, you know, this online screaming, the stuff we spent more money on in the last couple of years of pandemic. Um, mm. In addition to streaming, it's been things like, uh, I won't name names, but the, 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 the food delivery services. And this is what I find. Name the names. You sort of <laughs> I was like going to bring Eats. them up anyway. <laughs> I mean, we're all using them. Uber Eats, skip the dishes. What's, what are the yeah. other ones? And there's, there's nothing against them, you know, and it's not necessarily just the cost of using them because you're usually paying the cost of the restaurant costs plus a little bit of delivery fee and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but the problem with them is where they're starting to ruin people's finances is how easy it is. So if you think back, you know, before these all existed, going to the restaurant was more of a deliberate decision, something you did on occasion. Maybe you spent, maybe you spent more money on Friday nights. Maybe you took the family out to dinner once in a while, but now it's so easy to use these apps and get food delivered to your home. If you know, you're too lazy to, to cook or whatever. Um, and I, I found myself in that, in that situation. Sometimes um, it's so easy to use. There's no friction. It's, there's no friction of having to get in your car and go somewhere or to make a reservation or like you've mentioned in your case, you know, to, to get a babysitter, to go out with your wife uh, for dinner. Um, because of that lack of friction, it's so easy to spend this extra money. And now a, 
you know, an occasional expense, an occasional uh, discretionary expense becomes more regular. And now you're spending hundreds of dollars a month on something that you weren't before. And your budget gets, you know, your budget gets messed up. Yeah, the, um, and like anything, if you build into a habit, a periodic time here and there certainly is worth, I think, you know, it, it's it's convenience. They are trying to sell convenience. They are trying to sell uh, optionality, right? Instead of calling one restaurant, you can go to one website and they'll pick up five different things for you, for example, right? But, uh, you know, the business models, I would say, for, for those delivery services, for example, too, are also extraordinarily stretched or, I dare I say, unprofitable. And, and it makes me wonder how um, they actually continue to survive. They've basically just blown up uh, VC investor money uh, in, in, in doing what they're doing with the customer acquisition costs, their promotional uh, uh, cards. We've, we've gotten all those things in the mail or people have been handing them those little cards out all, all the time. They can do so. But there is some merit in some of the stuff, right? But uh, I'll also throw out a little bone as, as, a, as a son of uh, immigrant parents or self-employed business owners, self-small business owners. Um, those, those third-party intermediaries uh, really crush, uh, can crush uh, small business owners and restaurants, that, which are very dependent on margin. Yeah, they and, don't make a lot and, of money on that. You know, they, don't, they don't make anything, barely anything. And uh, um, it is almost a, um, a new monkey on their back, a new, new weight that they've had to they bear upon just to say that they can do delivery or to show up on a platform, right? So um, not to get too much into that, but yes, um, the convenience thing, spending, getting too comfortable spending, I think is your point, right? Where um, changing that habit that might've, or that behavior that might've come up uh, during the pandemic, some of them might be permanent. Like, I mean, work from home, for example, um, is in some form going to be semi-permanent for us as my expectation. And there's other habits too, right? And maybe some food delivery every now and then is okay, but um, don't make it a day-to-day -day thing, right? It's sort of uh, the gist I get from you. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like I said, friction wise, you know, when it comes to like getting takeout from someplace uh, too, it used to be, you'd have to get your car, drive to the place where you're getting takeout from. Or, or you really out. wanted to have it. Yeah. You really wanted to have it. So, I mean, if you, if you, if you, again, if you're kind of, you're at home, you're tired, you don't want to cook, you're probably now, instead of, you know, instead of getting that takeout, you would otherwise have maybe just found some kind of soup or something in your pantry to have for dinner. Um, but now because we have these, these extra services, now you've got this option to spend a bunch of money and get a, uh, um, you know, even get a, even get McDonald's delivered, which is insane. When you think about it, it's like, I wonder, I, I shock, like I've been in McDonald's with my kids or at Starbucks and I like, I see people getting pickup orders and I'm like, man, those fries are not, are not going to taste good in half an hour. You should totally probably not. Have brought them, you got them yourself. Right. But I mean, like, it, it's amazing that people will get that stuff. And I wonder if it's just, again, the promotions that. There, you know, maybe it's a discount or a free meal, a free twenty dollar voucher, whatever the case is, I mean, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I made the mistake a while back of getting a pizza delivered from like a like a a uh, like a, a place that does like more authentic Neapolitan pizza, and uh, and I, I, and you know, usually these types of pizzas you have to eat them right away. Once they're out of that brick fire oven, you should eat them right away. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If I was picking it up on my way home, I'd like race home and, and open that box and eat it right away. Um, in this case, I'm watching the, the Uber driver trying to find my house and he's circling my neighborhood the whole time. My pizza's getting colder and colder. Eventually it gets to me. It's like, it's almost ice cold. Um, <laughs> that's why I decided never to do that again, but, uh, and you had to tip him for it. This whole thing though, too, you know, if you kind of think of the, these services, if you were explaining this to someone from 20 years ago, how would you explain it to them other than to say in the year 2023, we now order food from restaurants and then have a, we pay a taxi to bring that food to us. 
Like we, we, we pay for a taxi ride for our food, which is kind of crazy, but uh, it, that is what it is today. <clears throat> what I would say with the BDC to go back to Netflix again. So I asked the folks around and like, will you cut it now that you can't password share or someone who is sharing off their parents or a relative, will you buy it now? Right. And I don't think that, but you know, you know, Netflix is, you know, they, they have an idea what they're doing, right? And for example, and the whole subscription idea is that there's a big, oh, it's not worth their business anymore. There's there, the quality of their shows aren't very good. I'm not just interested, but I suspect within three months or six months that they're going to say like, yeah, we're going to keep doing this. We're not going to let people share again. And and conversely, I think the other streamers in particular um, will, will do the same. I mean, like I was seeing a stat, like almost 25% of can Canadians have three streaming services, video streaming services. And we just named two or three. We named them all basically Netflix, uh, Amazon prime, Apple TV, things of that nature. We, we didn't have these a few years ago. Yep. We, we're still probably going to have one or two of them, right? We we're still paying for cable. Focus right? on a couple. Yeah. We're, we're still paying for, for cable. cable too. So, it, and, and the one thing, you know, that, the, that Netflix, you know, their algorithm was always big, right? Their, their big thing, their secret sauce, whether it's TikTok or Netflix, it's, it's you know, recommendations this is the next show this is the next piece of entertainment or content that i think is good for you and so the one thing i'll support about the subscription economy and in particular is that it's very much customer driven it's service driven right the, the only way to rationalize an ongoing service uh is that is to have a personalized um, um service given to you or provided to, to the end user so that might mean here's a new here's a curated list of music or here's a new uh, TV show that might be of interest for you. Oh, here's a new box, uh, a type of ingredient or, or, or type of food that you may not have had before, but based on your previous eatings, you might be interested in trying this out, expanding your horizon in that sense, right? And it becomes, it ends up being sort of a personalized, a little bit more, it's, it's not as a, a commodity driven, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If you get what I'm saying. And, and that's something I think that the subscription economy will allow uh, uh, service providers, particularly, not so much, you know, um, you know, delivering cheap books to your or you know DVDs or computer parts to your house, uh, but the other stuff. It's like, oh, do they really know the client? What is the client interested in? How is their life changing? What or what are their things interested in now? And how is that slowly transitioning? All of a sudden, you're starting to see, you know, kids' TV shows being uh, being put out on, on your list. Maybe they'll suggest something for your niece and nephew to re to look at afterwards. And maybe you as well, right? Um, and so I think that there is some merit behind it. There's definitely a lot of merit behind it. Uh, but I think slimming down our subscriptions, our month-to-month -month spending is something that's probably worth revisiting uh, uh, on a regular basis. And then also um, just saying that, you know what? These aren't going away now. Uh, the business, as much as you want to complain about Netflix and ch them changing their passwords, uh, uh, their policy, we are still as a whole, it's the number one name in, in that in that in that sector for example people so gravitate you said netflix of course right mm -hmm. of course you have netflix uh i think they know what they're doing and so as much as people push against it um they're gonna try this out and i suspect the others will do as well so there's still so many things on my uh, to watch list on there i'm gonna watch the vikings <laughs> show like the second season of vikings valhalla gotta finish the bernie yeah. madoff show um, there's stuff from years ago that was on my list that i still haven't gotten around to and, I, you know, at least this is something that's preventing me from signing up for another one like Apple Plus. Like, I'd love to get Apple Plus. Yeah. Like, there's some good shows on there. But there's so many shows I haven't watched on Netflix and on Prime mm -hmm. and on Paramount and on, 
Like I was still want to get around to Yellowstone, and now that's becoming a whole like whole environment of shows. Yeah, like, yeah there's, there's a like whole three, uh, three series uh, now, and it's another metaverse there. Oh, it's a metaverse, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what. So can here's you do. one more thing to actually talk about subscriptions: is that gym memberships are one uh, that people are semi familiar with. There are businesses now uh, with subscription car washes, right? Where you can go in and, oh, yeah. and you know pay a monthly subscription for your car and clean, get it washed as, as much as you want sort of idea um wanted to get an idea just if you could get a subscription a service particularly uh on subscription is there anything that pops uh, to your mind financial planning <laughs> no <laughs> well, actually no you know that is say. that is something that people look for a lot is is just a financial yes. planning subscription like pay you know a couple hundred dollars a month is kind of what people would usually charge uh fee yeah. fee, fee for service financial planners yeah and and just sort of have that as an ongoing service Something I tried to uh, to get into years back, I just couldn't get the the I guess the the infrastructure in terms of taking credit card payments and whatnot. But and I, that's one. I mean, uh, other than that, um, you know, subscription. There's yeah. I'm just trying to think. What do I spend money on on a regular basis? Where maybe I can get a discount. Um, it's it's you're gonna it's get fun. value, and you want that personalized. Yeah. You you know, like you're talking with a planner or whomever, or even um, the uh, the hairdresser. Right. I asked yeah, there's one. I mean, that's office. perfect. That's a perfect example because I spend yeah. 30 something bucks every month getting a haircut. You know, yeah. they can retain my business better if they give me a $20 a month subscription fee. And then I'll come, you know, might come a bit more often, but then I'll always be going to that same place and never anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, you might just all you need is a quick trim. Instead of having right. to keep this punch card in my wallet where, you know, that's how they keep my business, right? I get, I do 10, <laughs> I get one free. Why not just do a $20 yeah. a month charge, charge my credit card automatically. I see I'm being billed for it. So I'm going to come in and get that haircut anyways. And they've got my business forever, pretty much. That's, that's a good uh, idea. An informal, yeah. An informal poll that I, I did and, and they en ended up being mostly about personal service. And so here are the things, massages, nails, hair, blowouts, whatever, haircuts, uh, lashes, dog grooming. Those, these are even a car wash. These are things that are, are very personal, whether it's your pet, it's your individual, it's you. You can try something out a little bit differently. Oh, I just need a little trim uh, tonight because I'm, uh, I'm going out this weekend. Or, oh, you know what? Uh, I'd like to just try something a little bit different. If I don't like it, I can get it fixed out afterwards, right? Oh, let me try that new, new color, for example, right? These are all very personalized things that I think would probably do well. Obviously, people would be interested in it because I just did a quick little poll with some people <laughs> around the office. But these are things I think subscriptions are, are worth doing. Uh, or worth considering, right? Um, and for the, I'm sure there are business cases. I talked about the car wash, but there are business cases for other things as well that are people trying to bring in. For the businesses for too, every business wants this. Every shareholder of a business wants this. It's recurring revenue, Consistent. not transactional yeah. revenue. I mean, our yeah. industry too has gone very much from transactional revenue where you know yeah. you do the occasional stock trade with a broker and get charged a big amount upfront when you buy or sell something to fee-based, which, which is a recurring revenue model. Um, that's what every business in every industry wants to see more of is, is recurring revenue. And the investors want to see that. And again, like we said, it, it's about retention too, retention of business and that ongoing stream of income. One thing, uh, two things I'll say there is that the worst, uh, among, among the most painful experiences people go through, I just talked with a client about this earlier this week, is buying a new car. Totally yeah. transactional, 
the you just roll your eyes. You can just shudder thinking about an experience of buying a car, used or new. And that's purely transactional, right? <laughs> and then you yeah. know that you're going to go through this dance. And then afterwards, they don't care about you and you don't care about them, right? The salesperson really didn't know uh, why you needed that minivan or why you might need another model or that new sports car or pushing you away from that really expensive import and bringing, buying something a little bit more practical that might be better suited for you and your, you know, that, your expenses, that is, right? That is a perfect example for an industry that could do more of this recurring revenue. Uh, let's, I mean, yeah. car, leasing cars, for example. When you have yes, a car yeah. lease, there's usually some kind of an incentive for when your lease comes to an end to get a new car, lease that from them. But why not just, you know, you got some of these dealerships are now networks of dealerships, right? Um, like uh, mm -hmm. to name a couple, there's Go Auto. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they're in, I think, are they in Calgary as well, Go Auto? Or is that just in Edmonton? They're pretty Canadian. Yeah. yeah. I think they're Alberta. They don't, they don't show East. Connor McDavid, but. Well, they got Connor McDavid and Bo Horvat yeah. advertising for them. So I think they're Alberta and BC based. <laughs> There's yeah. the uh, Auto Canada, I think. But anyways, mm -hmm. there's these networks of dealerships. Why don't they set up a recurring revenue model? You know, you pay a lease, pick your amount of lease, whether that's, you know, a couple hundred a month, 500 a month, 1,000 a month, 2,000 a month, if you're really into luxury cars. And based on that lease, you're kind of given that you're given a car to, to lease over that time. And you're told when you can get a new one uh, or you can get a new one anytime. And this is, you know, these are your limitations. This is what you can get. Um and that, that way they keep your business forever. And all you've got is this regular lease payment. You just always get your, get a new car every couple of years. People, I mean, some people like to do that and, you know, it might be more affordable to do, to do that instead of always getting a new lease here and there. And for them, it's retaining that business. Uh, so yeah. I mean, that's, it's the transaction. Uh, it's avoiding that, that painful transaction for everyone, particularly for the, yep. the end user. Right. And again, moving away from transactional sort of things to more, uh, um, relationship-driven, relationship-based uh, um, services. And I remember when I first uh, came to Calgary, I was excited. I uh, subscribed to a CSA, like a community-supported agriculture uh, uh, program. And so at the farmer's market, you know, uh, I saw the farmer. I gave, you know, he knew right up front that he was getting his revenue. He could plant his and pay for the, the bills and the overhead for the farm. Uh, every week I would get a new bag of, of vegetables. Different changed over time. He asked me for, you know, ideas. I gave him a recipe for something else. It was a very relationship driven thing. I got to know the farmer, right? And and what they were doing. Unfortunately, I don't do that anymore. But um, it was something where you got to build a relationship and there was a, a good exchange of, of ideas and services and products, right? So um, it, it, I think there's a lot of places and, and undoubtedly, there's be more things moving towards it, not just video and entertainment, uh, but those other personal things that are coming in that are going to be more month to month uh, or driven for that. And that should benefit everybody, right? It's not just revenue, but it's also, do they understand who I am? Do I, do they understand my dietary restrictions? Do they understand that I like my hair cut a certain way? I think that there's a lot of opportunity for everyone to, uh, to be involved in that uh, on both sides uh, of the, uh, of the relationship. Yep. So, and, and, you know, those things you don't share, you can't, you, as much as you can share a password, you can't, maybe you share a stylist, but you're, you're not sharing that. That's yours, right? Yep. Your relationship with the hairdresser, the nail salon, whomever, uh, your financial advisor, planner, uh, that's yours, right? So. So yeah, a lot of talk about food there, Justin, and it's getting up on uh, 11, 11.05 AM right now. And uh, <laughs> I go to my usual, uh, my usual fast food chicken place here in Edmonton, uh, chicken for lunch, if people are familiar with that. They're probably someone I could get a, a subscription with because I go there every Friday almost. And uh, <laughs> and you know what? I if it's the one I'm thinking about, is it in Commerce Place? Yeah, it's it's it, uh, not it Commerce used to be. In, there was one. Uh, it's now called Rice Howard Place, Sc Scotia oh, place, place formerly. They're a downtown, a couple, they're yeah. an institution. They've been around for well over twenty years now. Yes, forever, forever. And uh, I, <laughs> it, it, 
they have a loyal following. People know what their 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 food is. Um, I'm and I need to <laughs> thinking about reason it. I, reason I need to go there soon is because the lineup gets to be. Uh, and this is maybe a good sign <laughs> of things getting back to normal. The lineups on Friday, but if you're there at noon or just before noon, it's going all the way to the escalator. Yeah. And so I try to get there a little after 11. Usually I do my lunches pretty early and, and all this talk about food has made me hungry. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, how about we leave it at that for now? I'll go get my lunch too. And right. uh, I think I'm going to have some Greek today uh, just to change it up. And uh, yes, stay, uh, stay warm. I think uh, some spring is actually coming for us here in Alberta. Um, and the polar vortex is moving around. So uh, for those in Ontario and down to the Midwest, uh, hopefully it gets over too. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk again next week. All right. Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice, and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investments, objectives, financial circumstances, or general needs of any individual, organization, or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed. Values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect any fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Canadian Investment Regulatory Organization.